excellent privilege and honor to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, the only issue I have is I stayed up a little bit late last night watching some college basketball with my son Nate and eating a bunch of garbage food. Uh, so uh, with a few hours of sleep, a little Pepto and some coffee, I'm ready to go. So I hope you are as well. Uh, Another year is upon us, right? The calendar has turned from, from 2021 to 2022. We've turned the page, and time does seem to be flying by. Like the scriptures say, our lives are a vapor. Uh, so we might be inclined to use the phrase, time flies when you're having fun. However, the last two years, I don't know if the word fun really applies, that's why uh, we regularly use the phrase, the good old days. We talk about the good old days. And back in the good old days for me, I remember back to a song uh, performed by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh, it was a cover of a Barbara Streisand song called The Way We Were. And if you go out there to, to check out the song, I, I've only really heard the live version, so maybe that's the only time they performed it. I, I'm not sure, but it's... It's a wonderful song. And Gladys Knight, at the beginning of the song, starts out by saying this. She says, everybody's talking about the good old days. The good old days. Well, let's talk about the good old days. Come to think about it, as bad as we think they are, these will become the good old days for our children. Why does it always seem that the past is better? We look back and think the winters were warmer, the grass was greener, the skies were bluer, and smiles were bright. Now, you may or may not be familiar with that song, but I'll bet you're familiar with the song that came out roughly 10 years later by the boss, Bruce Springsteen, dropped one of his biggest hits called Glory Days. Glory Days, you've heard the song. Well, they'll pass you by, Glory Days, and the wink of a young girl's eye, Glory Days, Glory Days. So th there's no shortage of, of artists and authors who write about days gone by, the good old days, the glory days. But we don't really see people writing songs or otherwise about a glorious future. We don't, do we? And I, th and I think that might be because it's uncertain. It's out there somewhere and we don't know, will we have a glorious future? Well, Romans chapter 8 has something to say about that. So that's where I would like to go. We're going to resume our study in Romans. We're going to be in the 8th chapter, reading verses 18 through 30. If you would stand here and at home, we do that to honor the Lord as we hear from Him this morning. That's who we want to hear from. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. As a custom, we read here from the, the ESV. Apostle Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose." For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer is... uh, is a rather simple one, is that you'd be heard today. Not me, not my thoughts, opinions, perspectives, uh, that you would be heard and that you would speak directly to your people through me. I pray that uh, the words that are spoke here would be received uh, with uh, willing ears, uh, receptive minds, and open hearts so that uh, we might leave this place, or even if we're at home, uh, we would uh, leave this time of gathering together as your people, either in person or virtually, changed individuals, looking more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. That is my prayer. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been about a month and a half, maybe closer to two months since we've been in the book of Romans. So allow me to give us a very brief refresher as to where we're at. Uh, in chapter 8, chapter 8 begins with this trumpet blast of there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Glorious verse, trumpeted out, verse 1. And then the rest of the chapter, Paul goes on to describe to us the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those people who are in Christ Jesus, who have the Spirit of God dwelling within. And if we are led by the Spirit of God, we're sons of God, adopted into his family. And if we're sons, then we're heirs, awaiting a future inheritance that is ours with Christ provided we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So these are kind of the two concepts that we're going to focus in on, suffering and glory, because that's what the text goes to. That's where we're at. And these two terms get introduced, well, really in verse 17, but verse 18, he begins to unpack this here. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. Suffering and glory. Let's take them one at a time. We'll start with suffering. What what is in view here? What sort of suffering? 
Well, some commentators narrow the scope, and they would say that the suffering spoke of here is, is really for those who suffer uh, because of their identification with Christ, kind of a, a persecuting suffering, the, the opposition we face from the world because we belong to Jesus. Well, I think it is that. I, th I think that's included, but it's more inclusive. It, it includes more than that because Paul opens it up to all of creation, and we'll see that here. So yes, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but I think it also includes those physical, uh, emotional, moral frailties that we experience living in a fallen world. And so my first point to you is that suffering should be expected. We should expect it. If you expect to walk through this life, this fallen world, avoiding any and all suffering at all costs, I would argue you're going to suffer more. You're better off just owning up and facing the facts that we suffer. It's undeniable, no matter who you are. But First Peter here in chapter 4, he speaks to you, Christian. And that's really who this message is directed to. I know I'm the outreach guy, uh, but this I want to speak to the people of God. This is, this is for the church today. I want to encourage you today. Peter says, beloved, talking to the family of God, do not be surprised, he says, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So like Paul, Peter brings together these two concepts, suffering and glory. We see them married together all throughout the scriptures. But notice what Paul says in our text. He says they're really not to be compared though. He, he, he uses a Greek word that carries the notion of causing a balance to move. He says one will not cause the other to move. So envision a scale. All right, you got a scale, and you put on the one side glory. All right? This is, uh, carries the idea of weight or heaviness in, in the Bible. And you put that on there, we'll characterize it with like gold bricks. Boom, that, that scale drops down. That was my uh, tribute to John Madden. Boom, whack, your scale drops, okay, right? And what he's saying is these present sufferings on this side here, no matter what they are, they won't cause the scale to move. And we could liken these to you put some feathers on there. They're, it's not going to budge the scale. That's what he's saying here. This is exactly what he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now that is not to minimize the sufferings that we face, and we do suffer many and all sorts of horrific sufferings in this life. He's not minimizing that. He's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's a how much more argument Paul is making. And so before you, you begin to, to write this off and say, does, does the scriptures know, do the scriptures know how much I suffer? Does Paul know what I go through? Well, before you write this off, and you might be inclined to do so, those who have suffered immensely, 
I would encourage you to consider the source on two accounts. One, this comes from the Apostle Paul writing under divine inspiration. Ultimately, this is God speaking to us, a God who cannot lie. We can trust what he says. But then it's the human author, Paul. If you know about his life, he didn't live on easy street. He, he dealt with all sorts of things. He got arrested, beaten, thrown rocks at him. He was mocked, ridiculed, shipwrecked, the thorn in the side. He's no stranger to suffering. So I encourage you, consider the source. But even if, even if you think these sufferings over here, you're like, Mike, feathers, really? If you think these are heavy, let, let's remove both from the scale. You put your heavy struggles over here, scale goes down, right? What Paul is saying, when you throw glory over here and you drop this here, those are flying through the air out into left field. That's what he's saying. And my question to you, and I'm going to ask this continually to everybody here and everybody at home, do you believe that? Do, do you believe this? I mean, this isn't just some religious speech that I'm giving. The Bible impacts our daily lives. If you can embrace this, it will help you right now. It'll help you as you endure through the sufferings you face in this fallen world. Verses 19 through 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Let me ask you, consider the world that we live in. What do we see? What do we see on the regular? Tornadoes tearing through Kentucky and other places, earthquakes around the globe, tsunamis, right? Floods, famines, forest fires. This is, this is on the regular. This is life in this world, right? And in order to understand how or why the world is the way it is now is we have to go back to Genesis chapter one and two. Right there with the, with the creation account. I just read it recently. I'm trying to do a Bible, a whole Bible in a year. Uh, so I'm in Genesis right now. And uh, I have a tendency to start things and not finish them. So uh, I'm going to ask you, Living Water Community Church, to hold me accountable. If you see me in November, ask, how's it going, Mike? I, I'm going to put myself out there, man. I'm, putting, I'm planting a flag right here, right now. I'm determined. I've never done like a single year thing. So we'll see how it goes, right? Uh, but Genesis 1 and 2, God creates. It was good. He creates. It was good. It was good. It was good. Six times, concluding with it was very good. But then the, 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 the crowning achievement of his creation, humanity, decides to make a grab for autonomy and says, yeah, you know what? You're... Uh, your, your law there, I have no regard for it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take and eat. And it thrusts the entirety of God's creation into this fallen state. The, the world is cursed now. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 
3. So creation is now subject to futility. Some, some translations say frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And you might think that's Adam, but that's actually God. Like Adam's the causal agent who brought it on, but Adam didn't have the kind of authority that is needed to thrust all of creation into uh, a curse. That is ultimately God there. And so Paul, like is done in the Old Testament all the time, where you see trees clapping and mountains singing, he uses a literary device known as personification. And he says here that the creation waits with eager longing. He gives human characteristics to an inanimate object or objects. Creation waiting. I mean, is the creation tapping its foot? Like, come on. No. No, it's, it's a literary device he's using. There's eager longing. And I love what the commentators say is going on there with that eager longing. It's like creation is up on its tiptoes, head forward, looking out, you know, neck craning forward, looking up uh, upon the horizon for something greater. I would liken it to a, a kid in the car on a trip from Pennsylvania down to Florida. You know, as you, as you travel through Virginia and North Carolina, South Carolina, that kid's groaning. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right? But then, as the vehicle enters into Florida, that kid, his head is forward in the front seat, looking, awaiting that arrival to Disney World. It's like that with creation. So the good news is the world that we experience now with all its frustration and futility is like an expectant mom after many labor pains gives birth to a new creation. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he, he, he said something that was very interesting. I want to share this with you. He says, I wonder whether the phenomenon of spring supplies us with an insight. Nature, every year, as it were, makes an effort to renew itself, to produce something permanent. It has to come out of the death and the darkness of all that is so true of the winter. Oh, that'll preach today, right? <laughs> you could preach that in January. It's hard sell in July, right? In the spring, it seems to be trying to produce a perfect creation, to be going through some kind of birth pangs year by year. But unfortunately, it doesn't succeed. For spring only leads to summer, summer leads to autumn, and autumn back to winter. Poor old nature tries every year to defeat the, the vanity. That's the word that's used there in the text. The principle of death and decay and disintegration. Some good uh, alliteration there by the good doctor. Death, decay, and disintegration that is in it, but it cannot do so. It fails every time. It still goes on trying as if it feels things should be different and better, but it never succeeds. So it goes on groaning and travailing in pain together until now and has been for a very long time and nature repeats the effort annually. So creation is longing, waiting eagerly for a deliverance. How about you? Because that's where Paul goes next. He says in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, 
For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you groan? I groan. I, I've made a regular practice of this now in my, my old age. I, um, I used to say I'm in my mid-40s, but I just turned 48 uh, last month, and I think, you know, 47, you might be able to get away with a mid-40s. Mid I think that's stretching it, but 48, that's a hard sell, right? You know, you got to embrace that term late. Be looking forward to my, I guess, my early 50s. Hey, man, ouch, that, that hurt. But I, I make a, a regular, I, I sit down, I groan. Ugh. I get up, ugh. Right? My body is breaking down. How about yours? Am I alone here? Right? I mean, you, things start cracking, you know? I mean, just the body's just, it's doing, you know, what, it, what, it, what it's doing. And, but notice Paul. He says that, that, that we, he speaks about groaning inwardly. Inwardly. What, what's that all about? I mean, I thought we were new creations in Christ. I thought the old is gone, the new has come, right? We're, we're fresh and new. Well, in order to understand that, and, and really what's going on here in chapter 8 is a theological concept known as the already but not yet, the now but not yet. And, and let me show you. We've covered this already as we talked about adoption, right? We've already been adopted as God's children. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. We're adopted in, but yet we haven't yet seen our Abba Father face to face. Right? We're already heirs. We are heirs, but we haven't yet received our full inheritance. And we're already sanctified, set apart in Christ, but we're not fully sanctified yet. First John, he illustrates this. Again, beloved, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Tuck that in the back of your brain for a minute. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, is this your hope? Do you know him? Do you believe this? Do you have the first fruits of the Spirit? What's that? What's that? Well, it's a, it's a down payment. It's an earnest payment from God of a, of a future more full or a fuller payment. And that first fruits of the Spirit, the down payment is the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within each and every believer. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you're not God's, okay? And that's why this chapter 8 is, is to the church. This is for believers, because if you got him, the Holy Spirit, he is a him. If you got him, you have guaranteed glory. You do. We got to go to Ephesians 1. In him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. There's the already. We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. That's coming later in our text according to the purpose of him who works all things, that's also coming later, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. 
you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you catch the already but not yet? Verse 11, in him, we've obtained an inheritance. He says it, right? But then verse 14, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That's the not yet, right? I love that term sealed. You and I are sealed. That is a beautiful thing. It reminds me of these olives we buy from Sam's Club. They come in a jar. These things are sealed, locked up, just airtight. My, my wife loves these olives. I'll, I'll pick up a jar, you know, it'll be at the house. I'll get a text. She's like, uh, thanks for getting the olives. I'd love to enjoy them. I can't get into them, though. <laughs> That's like us. I, I think I just compared us to olives. Okay, but we're sealed, sealed, and have a guarantee. If you get a guarantee from God, is that a good guarantee? I mean, any man, any person could make a guarantee. Ah, oh, yeah, sure, I guarantee it. We won't have church Sunday morning. There's ice storm coming. Well, here we are, right? That's how good our guarantees are. That's why I stayed up late last night like a kid who's supposed to be studying for a test, thinking there's a snow day coming, and lo and behold, you know, no snow. But if this is your hope, if this resonates with you, if I'm describing you, I would be so bold as to say, this, this ought to put a spring in your step. This, this ought to brighten your day despite all the gloom that's out there, right? This, you, you should be Tiptoes, head forward, you know, neck craning, looking to the future. Because it's guaranteed. It's coming for those of you who are in Christ. It's a, it's a glorious guarantee. I'm not guaranteeing it. I, can't, I just told you, I can't guarantee anything. God in his word is guaranteeing it. I'm here to proclaim it. I'm just the delivery boy. Can you be a boy at age 48? I'm a delivery boy. 48-year-old delivery boy, okay? The question is, do you believe it? If you believe it, there's huge ramifications here today. See, some sermons, you come in here on a weekend, man, it's a total beatdown. It is. Why? Because our lives are out of whack. The scriptures come in, they reprove, they rebuke, they correct us, all these painful things just to bring us back into alignment. And it's just a complete drubbing. I've been in here for that. We're just taking shots, because it's good for you, right? That's some sermons. That ain't this one, right? Some sermons are, are rather somber. I, I, I got that uh, impression with the Isaiah 53 sermon uh, that, that we gave um, just before Christmas. It's like, whoa, this is, this is heavy, you know? And you got to give some quiet reflection, serious reflection. Other sermons are, are heady. Like, wait a minute, you got to run that by me again. I think I'm going to have to listen a second time. I'm going to have to really dive in because uh, I didn't, I, I, I got to really engage my mind here. Well, today, th this, is, this is just glorious good news. I think it can be a rather simple message of, yes, suffering in this world, but the, there's a promise from a good God who guarantees future glory. This is, this, is, this is good. I hope you take it as such. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. But the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we move here from what's sort of like a, a conceptual uh, promise for, for the future to something that is extremely practical for the here and now. How many of you struggle in prayer? I do. I do. Sometimes the situation is so complicated. It's so difficult. I'm so affected. I'm just so just discombobulated. I don't know what to pray for. The words, I'm just, I'm, I want to pray. I just got nothing. I come up empty. And then people think, well, you know, what if I pray for the wrong thing, right? I don't understand this situation. I could be praying for the wrong thing. The encouragement here is you're not alone. You might be locked up in your prayer closet, just you, but it's not just you, right? The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know what that means? That means your prayers aren't bouncing off the ceiling coming back to you. They're not. They're not. By the power of the Holy Spirit, they crash through the ceiling, reach the one who searches hearts, reaches his ears, that is God. And it's because of the Spirit's intercessory work. He steps in and sovereignly directs our prayers to help us in our weakness. I like to think he cleans up my prayers. You know, he's just like, yeah, okay, I see Mike, which you're, yeah, okay, let me, let me just do my thing here, okay? Because that's how I am. But this is extremely comforting. My, my prayers, even this week, you know, I've been praying for various situations, and my, my prayer is, Lord, let your will be done in this. Like I bring my, my petition forward. You know, this, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I think ought to happen here. But I subject that to, to his authority. I'll give you a real example. I'll be real honest with you. When I have a, a sermon, you know, prep week, my prayer all week is, Lord, let it go well. You know, let, let it be received well. Help me to faithfully, you know, uh, declare your word and let, let it be, you know, received well by Living Water Community Church. That, that's always my prayer. But you know what rattles around in the back of my brain is maybe the sermon needs to crash and burn. Maybe. Maybe I'm puffed up with pride and God needs to humble me, take me down a peg or ten. Here's my question. If, if that is true, well, first of all, if that happens, Christianity doesn't crumble. Living water doesn't fold up because I delivered a bomb. You know, not the bomb, but a bomb. I bomb up here with a stinker of a sermon. You know, life will go on, you know. So, life continues on. God's still sovereign. But if that's what he wants, and that's what's best for me and maybe best for us, that's what's good. That is what's good. Maybe hard. I don't want that. That's not my prayer. But, you know, I, again, that's what I mean by subjecting our requests to him. And if it's from God, it's for our good. And that leads me to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This has to be one of, if not the most comforting verses in all the Bible. 
But it has the potential to be one of the most misused verses in all the Bible. So let's carefully break it down so that we're not guilty of doing that. The first thing I'd like to say is that this is not a universal promise. This verse, verse 28, doesn't apply to every single person walking the planet. There's qualifiers. Those who love God called according to his purpose. That's the first thing. The second thing is it says that these things work together for good. Not that these things are good. We sometimes get it twisted and we come to somebody who's just in the midst of a just tragic situation and, and we, we call that good because we're not fully understanding this verse. No, it's bad. It's bad and we should label it as such. But in the hands of a sovereign God who loves us, the outcome is for good. And that leads me to the third thought, which is, do we even know what is meant here by the word good? I think we're like the rich young ruler, and we need to have our, our definition of good adjusted and tweaked a little. Because people will sometimes say, yeah, you know, yeah, you lost your job, but because God works all things for good, that just means he's got a better one lined up for you. That may not be the case may not be at all. I don't think you can make that promise. They may have lost a really good job never to get a, another one like it again because they may have lost that job because they have a really poor work ethic and God is exposing that so that they can address it. They might be stealing from the company and they need to be taught that stealing is a sin. They might be a, a workaholic and, and they, God needs to, to bring that to light so that they can reorder their, their lives and reprioritize and give attention to that which they've been neglecting. Might be that they're living a money-grubbing materialistic lifestyle, very lucrative job, affording them to buy all sorts of things, but those things are getting in the way of their sanctification. They're being conformed to the image of Christ. And they need to be taught that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. See, what's in view here in verse 28 is developing Christian character. It's not necessarily what we think is good. Again, it could be painful. But it's developing Christian character so that we might look more like Jesus. Remember the context here on two accounts. We're in chapter 8. The problem with like when, when you preach these sermon series like this, we, we were in chapter 5, I don't know, probably was last fall, maybe even last summer, and we've forgotten what Paul said in chapter 5, which if you're reading in Rome this letter written, you read it in one sitting. And so in, fresh in your mind as you read what we're looking at today is, is uh, chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So what's in view here? What, what is being called according to his purpose? What's his purpose? Conformity to the image of Christ. And in case you don't believe me, that's where he goes in the very next verse, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son. 
in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. We read it earlier. I told you to stick in the back of your brain. 1 John 3, 2. That's what it says there. See, the ultimate goal for you and I is, is that we would become Jesus Christ lookalikes. That the, this, this whole Christian enterprise is, is putting Jesus on the copier and by the power of the Holy Spirit producing Christ-like dittos. I want to be a ditto of Christ. And I'm not sure anybody has ever uttered those words before. This might be a first, okay? To be a ditto of Christ. Remember the catchphrase, I want to be like Mike. Well, this Mike says, I want to be like Jesus, not some other guy named Mike. This is what God is after with working out all things for our good. Before we get to verse 29, I can't leave verse 28 just yet. There's just too much to, to talk about here. You, you might ask this question. Okay, God works things for good. All right, when? Does it happen now or is it in eternity? My answer to you is both. See, if you're the, the workaholic who loses their job and gets humbled and brought to a place of repentance and then you reprioritize your life to be the dad that God called you to be, to be the, the husband or the, you know, or the wife. I keep using male, you know, the wife, the mother, whatever the case may be. You know, that's good right here and now. That's the good now. You don't have to wait for that. That's God producing good. When, anytime we're brought to a place of repentance, where, like I said, our lives are out of whack and we need to be brought back in alignment with the scriptures, that's a good thing, and that happens here and now. However, there are times when you don't see it now. You have to wait. Scriptures talked about waiting, hoping, right? Because it might just be revealed in eternity. But still yet, I, I know there are people that would say, all right, I, I hear what you're saying, but there are some awful things that go down in this world. I've experienced some awful things. And I know that's the case for people at home, people here. And, and again, I'm not trying to minimize that. Some of you are suffering in ways that I know nothing of. And you say, I just can't fathom how this can be turned for good. How is that possible? I'm sympathetic to that. Honestly, I am. And that's why it would be horribly wrong for me to flippantly throw out, well, it's for your good. It's for your good. Remember, Romans 8, 28. And that does happen. People will say that to somebody who's just, life is just imploded. It's for your good. I think it's reckless, and I, and I think it's, it's insensitive, and it's not very loving. So what I would like to provide for what it's worth is a, hopefully a helpful illustration. Imagine a little baby. Little baby being taken to the doctor's office by a loving mom and dad. Mom and dad bring this baby into the office. This man in a white lab coat, he comes up with a very sharp needle and he jams it into the arm of their precious little baby boy. What does that baby know? That baby knows I was brought to this place by mom and dad. They put me in the car. Here we are. They're sitting idly by. 
is this man comes with a very sharp needle, sticks it in me, it hurts, it's painful, they're doing nothing, he's an evil man, and so are they. And I thought they loved me. Despite mom and dad saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't cry, it's okay, we're right here, we love you, this is for your good. That baby, no matter how hard he tries, in his immaturity, in his ignorance, he's not going to be able to comprehend things like diseases, viruses, and vaccinations. And I'm well aware that this illustration would have worked a whole lot better about two years ago. Okay, I did use the V word. Hopefully nobody's triggered. We all good? Okay. Let's finish the passage. Verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, here we go. This is where all the cage stage Calvinists begin to salivate. You know what a cage stage Calvinist is? You're going to learn about them today. Okay? I used to be one. All right? I'd like to think I'm out the cage now. I'd like to think so. I no longer rock my Calvin as my homeboy sweatshirt. All right? I no longer have this irrational disdain for the nation of Armenia. That's funny, by the way. People at home, you, they're rolling in the aisle. The laughter, the, the mic doesn't pick it up. I mean, it's just, they're just dying in here of laughter. But I can, I can actually sit down with someone who would deny all five points and actually have a nice cordial conversation with them. That was not always the case. Because cage stage Calvinism is a phenomenon. It is. For which there currently is no vaccine. All right. The only cure is a heavy dose of humble pie. So what's a cage stage Calvinist? All right. This is a person whose uh, eyes have been blown wide open to the majesty and sovereignty of God. Right? They've come to embrace something known as the doctrines of grace. They incessantly talk about tulips Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. But not only do they talk about these doctrines, they obnoxiously bludgeon people with them. And they, at the drop of a hat, will judge someone's salvation who denies any or all of those. That's why the world would be a safer place if these people, of whom I was one, would be kept in a cage. It's real, okay? And as we wait, make our way through Romans, as we approach Romans chapter 9, the cage stage Calvinist begins to froth at the mouth, okay? They're like my dog when I come with the cup of food and he sees him about to pour it into his dish. He's just, he's licking his lips, drools coming down. That is the cage stage Calvinist. And I'm just wondering if we might have some present. Like I said, I was... By God's grace, I'm out now. But it all starts right here in chapter 8 with verses 29 and 30 with something known as the golden chain of redemption. Here's what I would like to say about that. One, man is depraved. 
The extent of that depravity, we can talk about. Number two, God chooses. God makes choices. Pastor Ben prayed it right up here. I happened to catch that. God makes choices. God, God elects. Okay, that word elect is in our New Testament. It's littered all throughout, just like the word predestined. It's there. It's a biblical term. We ought not avoid it. It's not a bad term. It's a good one. It's in the Word of God. Is that election corporate? Is it individual? On what basis does God elect? We can talk about it. There is an atonement. Is it limited? Unlimited. Let's talk about it. Grace is extended. Okay, great. There, there is such a thing as a calling, all right? Another biblical term. We have it right there you know, in our verse. Is it an effectual call? Can grace be resisted? We can talk about that. And lastly, and I'll come a little stronger here, I'll say this. God finishes that which he begins. I am sure of this. I am as sure of this as the Apostle Paul was when he wrote to the Philippians and said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I do think this is an unbreakable chain from foreknowledge, and that's where the debate begins, right there with foreknowledge, all the way to glorification, being glorified, past tense. It's as good as done. Okay, I think the believer, you, believer, me, we're secure. If you want to talk about whether that is a conditional security or eternal security, again, we can talk about it. But before we have any conversation, let me encourage you. Do what I did many years ago. I was wrestling through these things, and I was thoroughly confused. So I decided I'm going to frame the debate. And it doesn't really matter what the topic is. You take a you know, loose-leaf paper, draw a line down the middle. Whatever the, 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 the debated doctrine is, verses in support, verses that deny. And I wrote them all out. And I wrote my rationale, my interpretation. Right or wrong, I wrote them on there. And I prayerfully wrestled through them. I, I brought them to Pastor Mike. I asked for his help. All right, don't do that. Pastor Mike is a very busy man. We were a lot smaller back then. <laughs> he cannot handle everybody showing up with loose-leaf paper at his office, okay? But, you know, uh, we're here to help. We're here to help. I would love to. Somebody showed up. Mike, I'm wrestling through this particular doctrine. If I can offer some assistance, oh, I would love to. Oh, that, pff, kidding me? I make time for that kind of stuff. Somebody who's diving into the Word of God, I simply want to understand it. Yeah, that's a lot better time well spent versus, you know, the latest Netflix, you know, series, whatever they're pumping out, right? That, that is a good thing. But here's what I'd say. I'd give you another word of encouragement. You need to humbly, if, if you are, you know, some people might think, Mike, what are you even talking, why, why are we talking about this? I had a person last night came up to me and said, Mike, I think I'm in the cage. And I, I was, praise God, and we talked about it. And he, so, so this is relevant, and we've been affected here by at Living Water Community Church. I would say, humbly, humbly, and I would emphasize that word, hum, humbly venture out of your echo chamber. 
Don't just insulate yourself and, and take in teachings that just validate what you already believe. Expose yourself to the other side. Look into church history. Read books that you know, I, I'm not gonna agree with this. Expose yourself to that. And I'll tell you, you know what'll happen? And this is my prayer, because this is what happened to me. You'll get humbled. I got humbled. I, I've, I've sat down with somebody. I've read a book. They knew more about the subject than I did, and they buried me. They put me under the table, theologically, and that'll humble you. That's the first step out of the cage. So if you're, if you're a five-pointer, you are welcome here at Living Water Community Church. Okay? Your garden doesn't include any tulips whatsoever. You got daisies or roses. You're welcome here. All right? You call yourself a three-point Calminian, welcome, okay? Maybe you're like, Mike, I don't even know what you've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. All right, I love Jesus. Do I have to be some theological horticulturalist to attend here? No, okay? We love you too, all right? But I would encourage you to dig deep into the scriptures. All right, enough said on that. Let me close with a story, Okay? Share this story with you. It's about a man. He, he lives here in the Harrisburg area. He's in ministry. He's preaching this weekend. His wife's a nurse. Uh, he has a son who uh, suffered from epilepsy. And uh, son was having seizures, so they, they took their son out to CHOP in Philadelphia uh, for brain surgery to cure the seizures. And this, the surgery is called a hemispherotomy. The surgeon's name was Dr. Kennedy. And what's really remarkable is that ever since the day of that surgery, that little boy has been seizure-free. And it's truly amazing, right? Praise God for his healing hand. Now, some of you think I'm being cute here talking about myself. I'm not. I'm not talking about me at all. I'm talking about this guy right here on screen. Who's that? That is Pastor Drew Peterson. He pastors right over here across the river at Vibrant Church in Mechanicsburg. I've never met this man, but I can tell you I have a very deep affection for him and admiration. Our, our paths have crossed in some amazing ways. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. We've, we've never met, but we've talked on the phone, we've emailed, we've texted. And so I, I, I just, like I said, I, I have great affection for him and I can't wait for us to meet. I'm gonna give him a big hug. I'm not a big hugger. Some of you know that about me. I do hug, I, I give out hugs, but I'm giving this guy a hug. And he's a big guy, so I better get ready, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but his son, Ronan, and my son, Nathan, had the same brain surgery six months apart. Same hospital, same neurosurgeon. And at Christmas time, this past, just last month, Pastor Drew Peterson and his family, he stood up in front of his congregation and they celebrated one year of seizure freedom for Ronan. And here at Living Water Community Church, the Bongo family and, and you guys as well, we rejoiced in six months of seizure freedom for Nathan. And I want you to notice the verse that he was preaching on. But there's a, there's a kicker here, and you need to brace yourself because it's a bit jarring. When he was 
there delivering that message. And he told people all about the story. And they clapped and they celebrated. Unbeknownst to him, at that very moment, as those words came out of his mouth, his wife was at that second driving their youngest son, not Ronan, to the ER because he was having a seizure. It happened last night, it happened again. I just got a shiver down my spine. I tell you that to tell you this. In this life, you get little glimpses of God's healing hand. Do you not? I mean, I'm looking for some affirmation, maybe some heads nodding. Has God brought you through some things? Has he not? I will, I'll, yes. Yes, he has. But until he returns or we go to be with him, we will suffer. We've come full circle. See, you, you think, well, I just got through a period of suffering, clear sailing from here on out. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. You, you're either in the midst of suffering, you just got through it, or one's coming. Some trial is coming, so you better get ready. Get ready now. Get your theology in order so that when that trial hits, you're ready. But I tell you this, you don't walk alone. You don't walk alone. Spirit of God dwelling within is with you. Church family, Christians, a man I've never met. I, I have to say it. I said I wasn't going to mention name. Sean Vanderbrook, he linked us up. Sean he doesn't even know this guy. <laughs> but yet Sean linked us up. It's a crazy story. But he has been such an encouragement to me. And hopefully vice versa. You know? The people of God walking together in this fallen world amidst suffering with a view ahead to future glory. So whatever it is that you're currently struggling with, the present sufferings, right? They're not to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to those who love God, called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are so good. I thank you for allowing us to meet today, to just have another opportunity to expound your word, to proclaim your goodness, to proclaim your healing hand, to, to proclaim the promises that you make to your children. I pray that we trust them, that we do, that we, that we would not get, get it twisted, thinking that we're out here on our own, that there is no God above who loves us and cares for us and is sovereignly directing the affairs of our lives. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church family. I'm grateful for people like Pastor Drew Peterson. Your church, universal. Lord, your, your word is going forth th this morning all across the globe. And may you be glorified as it does. I pray that we would take to heart what's been shared here today. Will you impact people deeply such that it's not something that just we just go on with our day unchanged, that this would actually change us and change the way we live our lives and the perspective and the outlook that we have. That we can trust you, that we know you, that we know you love us, and that yes, in the midst of very, very difficult, painful things, you're with us and future glory awaits. 